Good morning, church. My name is Davi, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here. We're so glad that you joined us today. As Pastor Boyd mentioned, tomorrow is Memorial Day. So a huge thank you to those who have served and are serving in the military. We appreciate you more than you know, and we are praying for you. As a church, we're reading through the Bible cover to cover, and this year, and we just wanna encourage you to, to jump in if you haven't yet. We'd love for you to read with us, whether it's your first time hearing about it, or maybe you've kind of lost track, you don't have to catch up. Just jump right in where you are, make a new commitment. <clears throat> uh, this is my first time doing this video thing, and I'm not gonna lie, I wish I could be shaking your hand this morning. I wish I could give you a hug. I wish we were there singing together. I wish I could hear the guy singing falsetto behind me. I just miss you. But I'm so thankful that we have this, that we still get to do this. Uh, most of our community groups have still been meeting online, which is awesome. I'm thankful for the internet and for our staff, our amazing volunteers who, who work hard to make this possible. Uh, and, and whether it's video or not, this is God's word, right? I mean, God's word is living and active and he wants to teach us something today and he wants to draw us close to himself today. In 2 Chronicles 16, we're not there in our Bible reading yet, but, but there's a verse where a prophet says to one of the kings, he says that the eyes of the Lord are always looking back and forth throughout the earth. God is looking, searching for someone whose heart is fully committed to him so that God can strengthen them. And even right now, right, there's nine billion people, but God's eyes are going back and forth, looking, searching, waiting for a heart that is completely devoted to him. I want to be that person. I hope you want to be that person. And in the Bible, in, in what we've been reading over the past few weeks, we get an example of that kind of person in the life and in the songs of David. Uh, David's story is recorded in First and Second Samuel and in First Chronicles. And we know that he wrote at least half the Psalms, uh, at least 75 of them, possibly more. He was by no means a perfect person, right? As we saw last week, he kind of makes me look pretty good, actually. Just a, a deeply flawed man like you, David. But he was someone who was madly in love with his God. Someone whose entire life was marked by worship. This is the guy that must have spent weeks on end alone with nobody but sheep and an audience of one, just composing these most intimate, deep love songs for his God. Songs that we're still singing like 3,000 years later. This is the guy who instead of looking like a, like a dignified king or a respected ruler was dancing with all of his might before God, not caring what anyone thought or said about him. Someone who, who followed God wholeheartedly. In, in God's own words, David is called a man after God's own heart. Man, there's a lot of different goals in life to strive for, but for me, like that's something that I really want. So uh, in my mind, <clears throat> when I think of David, there's a lot of things that come to mind, but the, the top thing would be worship, right? It's the theme of David's life uh, was worship. It's the main theme and the purpose of the Psalms is cultivating that heart of worship. So I want to look at that today, uh, worship. Here's what, where I want us to go for the next 20 minutes or so. What can we learn from David's life and from the Psalms about worship? Um, I mean, if this is an important aspect of our faith, which it is, I think each of us can be encouraged and challenged to grow in this area of worship. Amen? So worship's obviously a pretty huge term. We, we certainly can't cover it comprehensively this morning, 
But what do you think of when you hear the word worship? Like what images come to mind? I grew up attending a variety of churches and denominations, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Dutch Reformed, Anglican, and there's huge differences obviously, right? How has your church experience or de denomination shaped how you view worship? And most importantly, does the Bible teach us how we are supposed to worship, how we ought to worship? What does the Bible say regarding uh, what we call the practice of worship? So I think many, many of us immediately think of musical worship, like praise and worship, like what we just did. Uh, some of you were probably just listening and worshiping quietly in your heart. Some of you were singing louder than you would at church because, you know, you're home alone in your PJs. You got your Captain Crunch and there's no one here to judge you. So you're just le letting it rip. Uh, as we talk about worship today, the first thing we have to remember is when you look at the big picture, worship isn't defined uh, by or limited to music. Worship is much bigger and much broader than that. End of last year, Pastor Boyd walked us through Romans 12 and how our whole lives ought to be an act of worship. Our bodies are living sacrifices, holy and pleasing. Uh, we worship by not conforming, but by being transformed. We can worship God by our actions, by our words, by our generosity, by um, lots of things, right? Worship is bigger than just music. So let's keep that in mind. But our context for the last two months have been David and the Psalms. And so I wanna talk about that aspect or practice of worship what we do together as a church or what you do privately in your alone time with God. So first I think we have to an answer the question, what role does music play when it comes to worship? Which is a great question. Because every Saturday or Sunday, I don't know if you know this, you join hundreds of millions of Christians at least all over the planet, worshiping the same person through, through song and music. There's different melodies, different lyrics, different styles and different languages, but this is something that we all do at least once a week. Christians have been doing this for the last 2000 years, right? Worship, worshiping God through song. <clears throat> um, I think this quote by Leonard Cohen uh, might help us phrase this question best. He said, uh, I heard there was a sacred chord that David played and it pleased the Lord, but you don't really care for music, do you? Does God care about music? Is it necessary for worship? What does the Bible say? I think the answer is yes and no. Yes, God does care about music in the sense that the Bible is full of it, right? Uh, David and the Psalms give us a great example of how music is an important tool that helps us to focus our worship, kind of like, I think of it like a magnifying glass with light. Um, music helps us express our worship and our thanksgiving and our praise to God. There's tons of examples, but let's just read a few verses from uh, Psalm 95 and 97. Both were in our reading this, this past week. So uh, Psalm 95 verse one says, come let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Come let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And Psalm 97 verse one, Again, sing to the Lord a new song. He has done marvelous things. Shout for joy to the Lord. All the earth uh, burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with a harp and with a sound of singing. It says with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout uh, for joy before the Lord, the King. Psalm 150, of course, goes through a whole list of instruments to praise God with. 
David and the psalmist teach us that we should worship God with, with making music, with clapping, dancing, bowing, kneeling, raising your hands, and certainly with singing, right? These are all physical outward expressions, though, of an inward love, of our thanksgiving and of our worship. And these are expressions that mean something. Usually uh, people in their first experiences at church ask me, hey, like, why do people lift their hands? Like, what's, what's going on with that? That's kind of weird. <laughs> and I'll just explain. It's, it's like a handshake means something or bowing down to an older person in respect uh, or a hug expresses something that you feel. We do these things in church as physical expressions of our worship. Uh, we, also see, uh, we also see this form of musical worship in the New Testament. If you just Google singing in the New Testament, you'll find tons of examples. Even Jesus sang a hymn the night that he was arrested. Paul and Silas in prison, in chains, singing songs of praise in the middle of the night. Not because of their circumstances, right? Not because they felt blessed in the moment. They were singing praises in spite of their circumstances. There's about 200 songs recorded in scripture, which should tell us something. Uh, clearly, God does care for music. He even sings over us, the Bible says. So uh, musical worship, and that, that's also something that's going to be with us forever, right? That's something we're going to continue to do forever and ever. I don't know much about heaven, but this is a form of worship we know will be there too. We probably won't be reading our Bibles in heaven, if you think about it. We won't be doing evangelism or missions. There won't be a need in heaven to give to the poor or fight against injustice or pray for healing or, or you know, do the spiritual gifts but there will be singing. On the other hand, <clears throat> uh, if music is just a movement of vocal chords and that's all there is to it, then no, I don't think God cares about music uh, that much, right? If my lips are moving, but I don't mean it in my heart and it's, it just becomes another religious empty ritual, right? The Psalms make it clear, God is concerned uh, not with empty ritual, God wants our hearts. I mean, just think about how many hours of your life you've spent singing worship songs. Like, why do we do this? Do we do it just because that's what churches are supposed to do? We sing songs. If, God, if, if music was all that God wanted, if you think about it, I'm sure he already has the best, most angelic music you can imagine, right? He created Mozart and Beethoven and Bob Marley. I'm sure the angels make some unbelievably good music. David's there right now. It's not music alone that God is looking for. God is looking for our hearts and our adoration and our trust expressed through the vehicle of music and song. And, and I know maybe this is obvious, but it's an important reminder for me because, man, I've spent hundreds of hours of my life singing songs of worship and praise, but it's so easy for me to check out if I'm not being intentional. Right? It's easy for me to slip into what the Bible calls honoring God with my lips, but my heart being far from him. I heard a story from this big name preacher who was asked to speak at a church down south. And as the worship leaders were singing bef uh, before he went up to speak, he said it was so bad. Like these two guys with missing teeth and out of tune banjos with missing strings. And he was just getting upset. He's like, really God? I'm kind of a big deal preacher. And, uh, you know, the best they could do for a worship band is this. 
And he said he heard God speak to his heart in that moment as clearly as ever before. God said, you be quiet. Those are my sons. And when they sing to me like that, I make the angels in heaven be silent. And that's what I love about David. He reminds us that God, what God always cares about is the heart. David shows us that worship isn't this external uh, religious thing, but it's deeply personal. It involves our emotions and our heart, and that is what's beautiful to God. Now, of course, a big chunk of what we've read so far in the Old Testament describes worship as rituals, right? It was uh, bring this offering, do the sacrifice, wear these robes, uh, and they were good. They were necessary for the time, but they became an outward or external form of worship. What we learn through the Psalms is what God is really after, much more important than ritual, what he really wants is an engagement of our hearts and our soul, of our emotions, when we're hungry and thirsty for God, when we choose to put our trust in him, when we feel afraid, that is worship. Over and over, the Psalms downplay rituals um, and instead teaches us that God is longing for our hearts and not merely outward worship. Let's look at a couple of verses from Psalm 50 and Psalm 141. Uh, Psalm 50, verse 9, God essentially says, listen, your sacrifices are fine, but that's not really what I want from you. He says, uh, sorry, I will, I will not accept a bull from you um, or goats from your fields. For every beast of the forest is mine and a cattle on a thousand hills. Everything's already God's. He says, here's what I really want. Verse 14, make thanksgiving your sacrifice to God and perform your vows to the most high and call on me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Psalm 41, verse two, God says, may my prayer be counted as incense before you, the lifting of my hands as the evening offering. Those are the things that God wanted much more than sacrifice. God wants a contrite heart, uh, humility. He wants love. He wants care for the poor, standing up against injustice. It's what's happening on the inside of our hearts and our souls that matters the most to God, not an outward external ritual, right? Here's what David understood, that God isn't a being out there somewhere that we're supposed to appease. God's not just a nice religious idea but God is a capital P person. He's a person, right? And we should love him like a person. A.W. Tozer is one of the granddaddies of our denomination, and he said this. He said, God is a person, and in the deep of his mighty nature, he thinks, wills, enjoys, feels, loves, desires, and suffers as any other person may. Is your, pers is your, is your worship personal? Does your heart connect with God's heart? I mean, when's the last time you told God that you love him and you just really, really meant it? This is really important. Uh, let's take marriage for an example. Guys, listen, if you're married, there are lots of ways you can love your wife. You can love her by making dinner, by watching the kids for a few hours so she can take a break, by taking out the trash, by cleaning the bathroom. And all the wives right now are going, you hear that, honey? <laughs> Pastor's talking to you. And the guys are going, I've literally been doing that all week. But there's lots of uh, ways you can love your wife. You can love by buying a gift or biting your tongue when there's something you really want to say, but you're choosing kindness or by 
by being faithful to her, by not freaking out when there's 342 Amazon boxes piled up outside your front door. Um, these are all valid ways to love your wife, but there's something very different when your emotions get involved and you say it and you really, really mean it. When you look her in the eyes and from the bottom of your heart, you tell her how much she means to you and how much you appreciate her. Next to my desk at church, there's, I have a poem from my wife, Amanda, that she wrote years ago for me, but I still look at it often because it means so much to me. You know what I mean? Same is true of worship. There are lots of ways that we can worship God. We need that Romans 12 everyday worship where my whole life is an act of worship on the altar, where I'm constantly giving and I'm generous and my life is an example to others. I'm living holy, I'm preaching, I'm sorry, practicing the fruit of the Spirit. All of that is worship. But, but there's something different, something special and very important when our heart connects with God's heart, deep calls out to deep, and our soul cries out. You got snot and tears coming down. Your emotions are involved and you feel it and you mean it, right? When your heart is overflowing with thankfulness and joy and you just can't help but like, wow. Or when you're feeling so terrified and anxious and you're at the end of your rope and, and you choose to sing a song of trust and praise and you actively place your hope in God and you tell him, how many of you have been reading Psalm 91 over the last two months and you're just saying, God, I trust you. Whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. That is worship. And we need both, right? What if you were only super romantic and intimate, but you never loved your spouse through like the everyday life stuff? Love God with your whole life and with your actions, uh, but also seek his face and worship him with your mouth and your knees and your hands raised and with your heart and your emotions and your soul. Now this week we also read Psalm 42 and it's one of my favorite Psalms. It was either written by the sons of Korah, which is basically a worship team that David put in place in the temple, or it was written by David for the sons of Korah. Uh, many commentators believe this was David while he was running for his life from his own son Absalom. So next time your child is mad at you, just think it could be worse. Um, but let's read the first half of the Psalm together. <clears throat> Psalm 41 verse 1 says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul is thirsty for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. I missed that. You guys kind of relate. Um, verse five, why my soul are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. I read the Psalm uh, many times as I was preparing for today, and I usually focus on verse five, but this week God kept drawing me to verse one and asking me that one question. What are you thirsty for? What am I thirsty for, if I'm honest? Am I comfortable? Am I satisfied? Verse 1, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, longs for you, thirsts for you. I remember a few months back with the Australian bushfires. I don't know if you, um, if you saw, saw some of those heartbreaking videos, but 
There were koalas and kangaroos just coming up to people. They were so thirsty for water. And that's how the psalmist feels, thirsty, needing to meet with God and come into his presence, right? This is deeply intimate language. My soul thirsts for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? And then Psalm 63, it's a very similar Psalm. Uh, David says it this way. He says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water or no other water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. Can you ask your soul a question this morning? Are you hungry and thirsty for God today? And what is your soul thirsty for? Because David or, or whoever wrote Psalm 42 is obviously in a very bad spot. And he says, my tears are my only food. My soul is downcast, just like blah. I don't know if you felt like that too in the last couple weeks. He says, I'm barred from public worship. I'm unable to join with others in, in that communal worship and celebration. Sound familiar? Uh, and that could be because he was held hostage somewhere or he was, he was running for his life, hiding in a cave. He says, people are mocking me. My bones are in agony. I mean, he's obviously not doing good. But throughout the Psalm, he only asks God for one thing. What he's asking God for, what he's most thirsty for, isn't that God changes his circumstances, which to me is kind of surprising, right? He's not asking God to magically take away his depression or fix his situation or the negative relationships in his life. He's not asking even that his life can go back to normal. His greatest desire, his thirst, is for nothing less than God himself, to meet with God, who, remember, is a person. So what are you thirsty for? As Christians, it's often I think we're supposed to feel like, like we're satisfied in God all the time, like, I found Jesus and so my soul is satisfied. No, it's not. Listen, if David and Paul, the two most spiritual guys in the Bible I can think of, other than Jesus, weren't satisfied, if they were hungry and thirsty to know God more, Paul says, uh, Paul says, I wanna know Jesus. I mean, everything else is garbage to me. I wanna know him and, and, I, and I haven't attained it yet. I press on forward to that goal. In other words, I'm thirsty to know Jesus better. I don't fully yet. I'm thirsty to experience his presence. That's what David wants more than anything else. Psalm 27, he says, one thing I ask, there's one thing I seek, that as a heart of worship. Because David understood that, that it's in that place of worship and communion with God that we find shelter in God, we hide in his shadow, it's there that God fights our battles, it's there that we are transformed, it's in that place of worship that God speaks to us and he leads us, it's there that our hope and our trust is reoriented and it's put in its rightful place. It's there that we experience peace and joy that's like supernatural. It's there that to, Pastor, uh, to borrow Pastor Boyd's words from this past week, he said, it's there where we see how big God is and we understand how small we are, all the while growing in the hope that the bond between us is unbreakable. What are you thirsty for? God's eyes are constantly looking throughout the earth looking to strengthen the person whose heart is fully his. I want to close this morning with, with some words and a prayer by A.W. Tozer. 
but I just want to encourage you to, to take some time this week and just spend in worship with the Lord. Uh, we worship together as a church, but, but finding that alone time with God where you can just rest in Him and pour out your heart to Him. Tell God afresh that He loves you so much. These are the words by A.W. Tozer. He says, I have found God and still to pursue Him is the soul's paradox of love, scorned indeed by the too easily satisfied religionist. Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. God waits to be wanted. Too bad that with many of us he waits so long, so very long, in vain. And then um, I'm going to close this in this prayer by A.W. Tozer. <clears throat> oh God, I have tasted your goodness and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need of further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, I want to know you. I want to want you. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me your glory so that I may know you indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. God, say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. And then give me the grace to rise and follow you up from this misty lowland where I've wandered for so long. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, if you would like to pray with any of our pastors or shepherds, after the service, we'll have a Zoom uh, meeting, a chat, and you, you can find it in the comments there. Otherwise, have a wonderful day blessed week in Jesus name. God bless.